0: Thanksgiving Day is upon us. (laughs) What does Thanksgiving mean to you? And when I I say the word, what comes to mind? Thanksgiving. (laughs) For some of you, it's turkey, it's cranberries, mashed potatoes, sweet potatoes with marshmallows on top, it's a nap following the devouring, all of that. It's a four-day weekend, a long road trip, a house full of family members, some of whom you love. Others you may simply tolerate. It's not only a holiday, it's the signal that we ought to start decorating for Christmas for some of us. But for us Americans, and most especially for us Christians, it's a way of life. Or at least it should be. If someone were to describe you to somebody else... Would they say that you are a thankful person or a grumbler? Are you a complaining person? If I were to ask your husband or your wife, what would they say? You know, what would Laura say about me? It's probably not a fair question because you and I go through seasons in life where we're challenged by sickness and uh, untimely loss and death of loved ones. we challenged by war and loneliness and disappointment and, and all of those things weigh so heavily upon us that we can barely even smile at times. Now, I can get real spiritual on you and say, Oh, brother, <laughs> the Bible says in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. First Thessalonians 5.18 This is a great verse. It's a go-to verse for me. Because it's one of the few verses that tells us straight in plain language, this is the will of God for our lives. In other words, if you're wondering what to do, this is one of those things that that we really should be doing all the time. It's the will of God. But take courage because it doesn't say in everything be happy or in everything thoroughly enjoy what you're going through. And I'm all about keeping it r- real. I don't like fake Christianity or what I'll call churchianity. And then when I'm going through a, a tough time, I don't like to fake it. And so if you'll ask me during those times how I'm doing, and if there's time, I'll probably tell you what's going on. But here's the thing. My perspective of my situation will color my description of my situation. This is the difference between Our being in crises or not. A crisis is an event that occurs that seems to be beyond our ability to cope. So the way we frame the things that we go through has a lot to do with how we will describe it and see it and share it with others. We Christians seem to swing from one end of the spectrum to the other. On one end, we put a smile on and we attempt to amaze the onlookers. We don't want anyone to know we're hurting inside or that Christians have tough times. And on the other hand, we are so keeping it real that we spill all of our beans when someone asks us and an honest onlooker may have a hard time actually telling whether we have any hope in Christ and could conclude that there really isn't any good reason to become a Christian. And so... What is this thing, this thanksgiving? What does it look like? When should it happen? Uh, I ask you to look with me to Luke's Gospel where we'll see Jesus' encounter with a thankful man in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. Now it happened as he went through, or he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered of certain village. There met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was as they went that they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he returned with a loud voice, glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. He gives Jesus thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, get up, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Samaria was the part of town you would want to avoid if you were a good Jew. <laughs> I mean, they were half-breeds, the Samaritans were. They had a history of idolatry and paganism, and where Jesus could have gone around Samaria, as many Jews would have done, it says in verse 11, He passed through the midst of Samaria. He didn't skirt along the edges, but He went through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And he not, not only did He pass through the midst of Samaria... Uh, because, again, he could have walked on the outskirts. He went downtown. In verse 12, it says, He entered a village, a certain village. And this was a place where there would be plenty of Samaritans. And not only did he enter a certain village, but he met with ten lepers. These are people with contagious skin diseases who really would have made any faithful Jew Ceremonially unclean if they were to get too close. They would not have been allowed to worship in the temple of God. This really ought to be a lesson to us. Here's the first thing I'd like to point out is that there's no place Jesus will not go. There's no audience to whom he will not reach out to. Jesus will go to the slums. He will go to the outcasts. He will go to the rejects, the weak, the foolish, and the diseased with as much zeal and passion and concern as he will have for the accomplished, for the rich, the healthy, and the wise. And guess how he reaches out to those folks today? He reaches out through you and me. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem to speak with the ceremonially clean religious people, but on the way, he chose to go through Samaria. Have you been avoiding the Samarias in your life? Leviticus 14 verses 45 to 46 tells us that lepers were to cover their mustaches when shouting to others. There would be like sirens on the police car saying, unclean, unclean, like watch out, stay socially distant from me. This could be interpreted as like, stay away from me. Everyone stay away from me. And they were made to live outside the camp. And these poor guys, in verse 13, were shouting, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. I mean, listen carefully. You can almost hear them saying, Dear God, love me. Help me. Touch me, too. And obviously, they had heard of Jesus' fame, and they knew two things. They knew that Jesus was, at the very least, a prophet, a man close to God, And they knew that they themselves were the very least men far from God. In Psalm 51 verse 17, David said, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do you want to know what gets God's attention? A man after God's own heart a woman after God's own heart. David knew how God's heart is merciful toward those whose spirits have been broken and whose hearts are contrite, whose hearts have been crushed or collapsed. And these lepers couldn't go to the temple. They couldn't offer sacrifices of bulls and lambs, but they could offer what they did have, soft, humble, pliable hearts. And this leads me to uh, you know, a second point I'd like to point out is that if you want to get God's attention, if you'd like Him to come near to you, to move in your life, to move in your marriage, come to Him with a humble heart. David said in Psalm 34, verse 18, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and He saves such as have, as have a contrite spirit your marriage won't work unless both of you are humble and pliable and inclined to admit that you're that you're wrong or you could have done things differently the success of your fire team your battery your squadron your shop may very well depend on you being humble enough to receive correction and criticism it helps if everyone is humble enough to receive correction and criticism God will bless your humility. Jesus told them in verse 14 to go and show themselves to the priests. The priests were the go-to guys for everything. If you wanted to get close to God, see the priest. If you had a mold problem in your house, see the priest. If you needed marriage counseling, you'd go see the priest. And so these ten men were to go to the priest, first of all, for confirmation that their leprosy was gone, and second, to go through the ritual cleansing, which would allow them to socialize with and and alongside the others in in the temple. Again, in verse 14, it tells us that it was while they were on their way that they were cleansed. While they were on their way they were healed. This is another really good lesson for us because it shows us that if we would just humble ourselves and do what Jesus says, believing that he really knows what he's talking about, that God will meet us along the way. He does his best to work when we are doing what he's called us to do, even when it doesn't seem to make sense to us, just go get along our way, start going in the direction he's called us to go. As one of the men went, he noticed something was different about himself. He knew that he was healed. And so he went back to Jesus. In verses 15 and 16, it says, with a loud voice, he glorified God and he fell down on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And Luke wants us to know he was a Samaritan. He was a guy who was not socially acceptable, Seemingly distant from God, eternally acceptable, and closer to God than most people, and he was thankful. Jesus' response here: Look at this in verse 19 or verse 17. Were there not ten of you guys? Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this one foreigner? And he said to him. Arise, like get up and go your way, and your faith has made you well. This brings me to a third point. Not that this needs to be a three point sermon, but here's at least a third point that Jesus does not need our thanksgiving, he doesn't need it. We need to give thanks. Our praises don't add one ounce of goodness to God, it doesn't add to his confidence. It doesn't need, you know, God doesn't need to feel better about himself. But when we give thanks, it does something in us. It's not about us, but God loves us. And he knows that when we're in a right relationship with him, it changes us. In this case, all ten were healed physically, but the one man was healed spiritually. In verse 19, where it says, your faith has made you well, I think it could also be translated literally, your faith has saved you. Your faith has done this in your life, it has made this connection, right Thanksgiving was the very expression of that man's faith. He was saved not when he physically returned to Jesus, but when in his heart he connected with God through Jesus Christ, his heart crying, "Jesus, Master, have mercy." So what is this thing? Thanksgiving in the Old Testament, the word thanks." comes from the Hebrew yada, meaning to throw, to shoot, to cast. And yada is used 114 times. It's it's translated in the Old Testament and and sometimes as praise, give thanks, confess, thank, make confession, thanksgiving, cast, cast out, shoot, and be thankful. Kind of a wide array of words there from yada to describe yada. It's written in Jeremiah 50 verse 14, put, away, put yourselves in array against Babylon all around, all you who bend the bow. Shoot at her. Literally, yada at her. Spare no arrows, for she has sinned against the Lord. Shoot, in other words, send arrows in Babylon's direction. Even so, in giving thanks, we shoot praises and expressions of gratitude to God. Isn't it interesting that the word translated "sin" in the Bible is a is a term used in archery to describe the occasion uh, of which an archer, you know, misses the target. Sin is to miss the targets, to fall short. How often do our words and the intent of our hearts miss the mark? And I. I'll ask you another question. <laughs> what is it you usually shoot in the Lord's direction? Praises and thanksgiving or complaints and grumbling? In the New Testament, there are at least two words translated thank or thanks. You have exomologeo, which is also translated in other places as confess and promise, more of it's more of a public acknowledgement, like in Matthew 11, verse 25, when Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. There, he was publicly acknowledging the Father's sovereignty. But then there's Eucharisteo. It looks like Eucharist. It's where we get the word Eucharist. It's translated thank or, or give thanks and be thankful. It's used 41 times in 38 verses, 13 times in reference giving to giving thanks for food. Ten of those times are when Jesus gives thanks, and six times specifically in reference to giving thanks for the bread and the cup in what we call communion and the Lord's Supper. That's why it's called the Eucharist, to give thanks and be thankful. So what does Thanksgiving look like then? We give thanks to God, and when we do, we are acknowledging Him and simply sending back, or if you will, shooting back, like yada, shooting back to him the glory and the credit that rightfully belongs to him. We thank him for giving us life and breath and food and drink and fellowship and peace, promotion and and grace and favor in the eyes of others. Our problem is when we forget our God, whether intentional or not, we do so and we fall short and this is sin when we hog all the credit and the glory for ourselves and and when we simply fail to acknowledge him so our quiver the place where we keep our arrows should be full of gratitude another question I want to ask you you know when should we be thankful you might be asking that yourself when should we be thankful is it when life is great and everything's perfect Paul's words to the Thessalonians are good enough for us. In everything, give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 In everything, give thanks. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Wherever we are, in every circumstance, we ought to give thanks to our God. And Paul said in another place in Ephesians 5.20 that we ought to be people who are giving thanks always, for all things to god the father in the name of our lord jesus christ look we are made in the in the image of god and it's appropriate to acknowledge our maker always maybe even with tears in our eyes and in the depths of pain and loss to still be able to say lord i thank you how can we do this though you know why would we do this how can we do this you might ask because he's good because he's good, the Bible says, "Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good, for his mercy endures forever." First Chronicles sixteen thirty four. In Ezra three verse eleven, they sang responsively, responsively praising and giving thanks to the Lord. This is what they said: "For he is good, for his mercy endures toward Israel." The psalmist, Psalm 54, verse 6 says, I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Psalms 106, verse 1. Psalm 107, verse 1. Psalm 118, verses 1 and 29. And 136, verse 1 and so on. Give thanks to the Lord, for he's good. Did you know that each year the president of the united states declares a national thanksgiving proclamation or at least it's been traditionally so i haven't read this year's proclamation from our president if it if it exists but it's good that we as a nation stop for a moment even though we should always give thanks in everything for always you know give thanks always for all things as a people and as a nation under God we ought to do this more specifically as a church President George Washington was the first to call our nation to do this in 1789 and then six years later in 1795 we did it again in 1798 and 1799 there was actually no thanksgiving but a day of fasting and humiliation proclaimed by President John Adams wherein listen he says quote all religious congregations do with the deepest humility acknowledge before god the manifold sins and the transgressions with which we are justly chargeable as individuals as a nation beseeching him at the time at the same time of his infinite grace through the redeemer of the world freely to remit all our offenses and to incline us by his holy spirit to that sincere repentance and reformation which may afford us reason to hope for this inestimable favor and heavenly benediction, end quote. It wasn't until 1814 and 1815, President James Madison proclaimed the, the next day of Thanksgiving, and it was after that that uh, no presidential proclamations like these happened until 1861, when when the president of the Confederate States Jefferson Davis proclaimed a day of fasting and humiliation. In eighteen sixty two, Abraham Lincoln, President Abraham Lincoln proclaimed the first Thanksgiving day in sixty seven years. This is the first in an unbroken series of president presidential Thanksgiving proclamations. Listen to what President Abraham Lincoln said on october third, eighteen sixty three. The year that is drawing towards its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties, which are so constantly enjoyed, that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. Others have been added, which are of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart, which is habitually insensible to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. In other words, we ought not forget the God who has blessed us and he continues in the midst of a civil war of unequaled magnitude and severity which has sometimes seemed to foreign states to invite and to provoke their aggression peace has been preserved with all nations order has been maintained the laws have been respected and obeyed and harmony has prevailed everywhere except in the theater of military conflict While that theater has been greatly contracted by the advancing armies and navies of the Union. In other words, God has given us peace with other nations. And he continues here. Needful diversions of wealth and of strength from the fields of peaceful industry to the national defense have not arrested the plow, the shuttle, or the ship. The axe has enlarged the borders of our settlements and the mines as well as of iron and coal as of the precious metals have yielded even more abundantly than heretofore. Population has steadily increased, notwithstanding the waste that has been made in the camp. The siege in the battlefield and the country rejoicing in the consciousness of augmented strength and vigor is permitted to expect continuance of years with large increase of freedom. In other words, God has blessed our nation. No human counsel has devised, nor has any mortal hand worked out these great things, he says. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, has nevertheless remembered Mercy! It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States, and also those who are at sea, and those who are sojourning in foreign lands, to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving, And praise to our beneficent, uh, beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens, and I recommend to them that while offering up to the heavens, or I'm sorry, while offering up the ascriptions justly due to Him for such singular deliverances and blessings, they do also with humble penitence for our national perseverance. Uh, or national perverseness, rather, and disobedience, commend to his tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers in the lamentable civil strife in which we are unavoidably engaged and fervently implore the interposition of the Almighty Hand to deal, to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it as soon as may be consistent. With the divine purposes to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and union. End quote. As you may have enjoyed your Thanksgiving supper, or are in preparation thereof, or maybe take this time also to prepare your hearts for the lord's supper for the communion for the eucharist whenever you may observe communion as christians and i want you to imagine the lord's example when we answer the question you know what is thanksgiving jesus knew his followers would have been in him on his way to the cross he knew his betrayer was at the table and yet he gave thanks and he invited them, all of them, to take the bread and the cup, to divide it among themselves. And he gave them what they did not deserve, mercy. He offered them mercy. Jesus was known for his mercy. And so this Thanksgiving, I propose that we as a, as a church and as a people, as a nation even, but especially as the church of God, cry out to God in Christ and say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me, just as the lepers did. Our lives, the church, our nation, would be much more blessed and prosperous than it is, I think. Let's humble ourselves because God is near to those who have a broken heart and a spirit that knows what it is to be crumpled up. I propose that if we would simply obey his command to go, to do what it is he's told us to do, that we would find a healing in our minds and in our bodies, in our marriages and our relationships, the majority may not want to live for Jesus, but they may want what he has to offer, like the nine lepers who are physically healed. And And they don't want His Lordship necessarily. But if we are calling Him Lord and Master, let's do what He says. And finally, be thankful in everything and for all things. Why? Because He's good and His mercy endures forever. Father God, thank You so much for who You are. Thank You for Jesus Christ The Son of God who paid our debt on the cross for a resurrected, resurrected Savior, Lord, thank you so much. We give you thanks and praise simply because you are good.